Welcome to the Artist Tree. I am your host, Canary T. Robot. We are making some more music on this podcast today. Would you like to introduce yourself, special goat or host or, or guest? Yeah. <laughs> I can't talk. I'm sorry. It's Friday. No one can talk. No. My name is Abysme. I am a freelance musician. I've been producing for about three years. And thank you very much for having me on your podcast. No problem. Um, what? How did you first started uh, doing music? It, it, or why don't you tell us exactly what you do with music? Uh, well, right now, I basically put out music for free on my YouTube channel, uh, mostly kind of atmospheric background music that anybody can use as long as they want to credit me. I also uh, take commissions and requests. I usually do um, particular tracks for a certain... Um, videos or maybe intro songs and theme music. Uh, that's what I'm doing now. Now, how did you start this? Um, like, what got you interested in this? Well, I've been doing music for a very long time, and it wasn't until about 2013 that I just sat down and actually started putting tracks up on the internet for people to, you know, look at. It took me a long time to work up the courage. Um, I have, there's a channel out there called Let's Read who saw my stuff and said he really liked it and I should make ambient background music because he would use all of it and tell everyone about it. So I basically did that for about a year and um, it started to gain some traction. So I just continued doing so. Nice. So uh, when did you start, I mean, when did you first learn how to play music or uh, what was your introduction to music? Well, I grew up in a very musical household. Uh, both my parents had their own favorite music and played it around me constantly. I was encouraged to learn an instrument in elementary school, which was the clarinet, because that's what you default to when you don't know what you want to do. And um, basically, I discovered um, metal and electronica kind of between junior high and college and um, just wrote stuff in my own time, tried to join some bands. And when I got out of college, I decided I wanted to get serious about it and just sat down and forced myself to learn the software, to learn more about musical composition. And eventually, yeah, just started putting stuff out and made a lot of horrible tracks in the beginning and just refined as I went on. Uh, what software did you first learn how to use? Uh, the software I use is uh, called FL Studio or Fruity Loops from ImageLine. It's um, one of the, the bigger titles out there alongside Ableton. And uh, what attracted me to it was the fact that if you buy a certain level, they give you lifetime free updates and they have really good customer service. So um, DAWs or Digital Audio Workshops, which is what these software pieces are called, are notorious for having bugs and crashing because they're just complicated as hell. So it was... It was nice to know that I could get someone to basically fix it if I needed to. Thankfully, I really haven't had that many problems with it. But um, I, uh, they had a lot of good virtual instruments and programs within the software that allowed me to experiment and create a unique sound. 
and uh, they just they had a very good um, variety to them, and that's what I decided to learn on. Uh, it, and you still use it to this day? Yes, I do. How much does it cost, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, let's see. I mean, the price does fluctuate a lot. I think I bought it for a hundred and fifty. Um, and there's there's different levels you can purchase it at. There's like the super basic level that is, uh, you know, you can basically just make anything, but you can't save a record. Um, and then there's the really high level stuff that's like three hundred bucks. Um, I think it's about a hundred, hundred fifty is what I bought. Which you can record, you can save, you get a lot of samples and programs up front. You just don't have everything they've made, but mm-hmm. Most people don't need everything they've made. I know I don't. A lot of it's just kind of redundant or it's geared towards things I just don't want to make right now or have an interest in making. So, like, I just, I bought what I think I needed and then I added a little bit more here and there when I started to learn more about what it takes to make a song, um, especially in the style I'm pursuing. Now, did you take classes on this or did you just learn in your own free time or? Other than some music classes in like elementary school and junior high i am pretty much all self-taught there we live in an age where there are a multitude of lessons on the internet and tutorials on youtube that you can peruse and you can go to forums and it's uh, it's very kind of user friendly in that you can teach yourself i would never say don't take music classes i kind of wish i did i wish i had learned guitar forever ago um, but, um, if you, if you can't afford it or you just can't make time to go to classes, then, you know, there are ways to learn online and that's basically what I've been doing. Now, how did you start this, uh, brand or this, uh, Abysme? Like, um, did you create a website or, uh, what made, or was it started with YouTube? How did you get yourself going? Well, the Abysme is a screen name I've been using since, I think, 2009, just as an online presence. Um, I made the YouTube channel, I forget, I want to say it was like 2014, maybe. Um, and I, I had a name, and I commissioned some very basic logo artwork. I set up a SoundCloud as well, and kind of just uploaded stuff to both of those portals. And recently I got a Bandcamp as well because that's a very good hosting site for you to download or to offer downloads um, for your music. And so basically I, I use those three. I use YouTube, I use SoundCloud and Bandcamp. They all display most of the same music. Um, just they, they attack different audiences and they are kind of geared slightly different in what their use is, but they achieve mostly the same thing. Now, um, how do you reach out to get commissions then? Right now, um, I'll send out a tweet now and then saying, hey, I'm open for commissions. I rely heavily on word of mouth from the people that have commissioned me and the people I know. Um, That's When you're starting out as a freelance, that's pretty much all you can do. You can spend some time getting together a portfolio and throwing it at labels and throwing it at people all day. But it's it's kind of an exercise in futility. I tried that for a few months, and it got me absolutely nowhere. And it comes off as 
I, I don't want to say pandering, but it, it's everyone's trying to do it. You know, everyone's asking, subscribe to me, check out my channel, do this or that. And it just you'll get lost in the sea of people seeking attention and services. So it's better to, you know, kind of politely put it out there. And when you do get a commission and you do have a fan base, you know, just honestly and earnestly tell them, hey, I rely heavily on word of mouth. If you know anybody who needs this or would be interested, you know, ask them on my behalf. It comes off as a lot more polite and a lot more genuine. Okay. And then how do commissions work? Do people reach out to you through these social media sites or through email or? Yeah, um, my email, which is through my YouTube, is up there. Uh, Twitter's probably the best because you can just tweet really easily and then, you know, we can go into a private conversation. I'm on Skype. I'm on Discord. Um, they'll contact me and then we'll basically just chat about what they're looking for, what I think I can do for them, and we'll hammer out the details. And, yeah. Now, how do you um, are able to judge, like, pricing in terms of music or, uh, like, uh some like uh, some artists uh, usually I've heard this from people who commission um, artwork like they say I'll do cheaper for just line work. But if then color is added in or if there's another person, then I start to add more. How do you do that with music? Uh, it's difficult in the starting age because you when you're just starting out, you kind of have to do everything for free because until you've proven yourself capable um, it's kind of hard to say, well, I want money for it because they're like, well, I don't know how good your product's going to be because you don't have that much out. Uh, so I did a lot of stuff just for free. Um, and I always leave it open. If you want to donate some money through Bandcamp, you know, that's cool. And oftentimes people do, which is, um, very nice and a little surprising. But, um, the biggest, my big break kind of so far came through a channel called Blame It on Jorge, who commissioned a song out of me I did for free and he just, was very kind and put me at the forefront of the video and said, here's the, here's the guy who made the music. Here's where you can find them and instantly got loads of attention. After that, I decided, okay, well he gave me like, I don't know. I think he gave me like 50 bucks or something. And it took about five reworks and edits to get the final product out. So let's call it, you know, $20 and then it'll increase a little bit, you know, maybe five or ten dollars each significant edit. Uh, you can't really do it on hourly because every song's different. If it's a very small thing, like just an intro piece, and there's not many edits, I'll say like you know fifteen or twenty bucks because it won't take that long. And usually we know what we want. Um, if it's anything bigger than like a background song for a video, it's gonna be probably go into hourly at that point i haven't got any work like that yet but i imagine um if it's a large-scale project you would have to kind of break it up into very fine details with the commissioner and say hey you know how long when do you need this by how many days and hours do i have between then and now and what's the scope okay and then um now I got a question. Uh, what instruments do you play? I should have asked that earlier. But <laughs> uh, Well, I play bass and I play guitar. I am trained in singing. Um, I'm, I'm okay at it. I'm pretty good at background singing. But uh, that's that, those three instruments primarily. And then, of course, I can program whatever on the computer. 
Now, has the knowing how to play bass and do you, do you feel knowing how to play music helps you when creating music? Do you need it? Or, or what, what I mean is for this program, or could you just do it without any knowledge of playing music whatsoever? Yeah, you can do it uh, without a single, you know, with zero training whatsoever, because um, most of these programs, it's just all point and click. And it'll, you know, if you want to program notes into something, it'll give you what's called a piano bar and just show you all the keys on the piano. And you just click where you want, hear how it sounds, make that, lo- that note shorter as long as you wish. And then just see how it sounds together. That being said, um, knowing a little bit about instruments and music definitely helped me um, get a start much faster because I knew what chords were. I knew what, excuse me, what scales were and how to blend them together and how to kind of shape tempos and rhythms that probably would have taken a lot longer for someone without that background to kind of come to the realization of because there's just there's certain things that you don't you you can hear in your head but until you've actually played them out on something you it doesn't it's not intuitive so i would say you know learning an analog instrument alongside a digital workshop is a very good thing because it gives you variety and gives you perspective and it allows you to take in an outside perspective and apply it to that digital format that you wouldn't have heard before or wouldn't have been occurring to you. And um, also recording a live instrument and placing it in your song is also a very cool thing to do. And a lot of people do that. Now, um, if I recall, you've, uh, you've told me before that you're, this is not, uh, uh, you do not make, uh, this isn't your full-time job. Um, This is how it supplements, but it's not your uh, full gig, right? That's correct. Uh, what do you, what do you, um, are you hoping to eventually make it a full-time gig or what is your hopes for it eventually? Yeah, I would like to make this a full-time thing. Um, usually becoming an in-house producer, as they call it, is the, <clears throat> is the, um, the goal for electronic producers, unless you want to like, unless you want to do very trendy music and go out and do shows and all that. Um, it's either becoming a ghost producer for other artists or, being an in-house producer for a studio or a podcast or something, that's that will give you stable income. Um, I am working towards that. It's a, it can take years if it happens at all. But uh, the way I'm approaching it right now is, you know, do everything I can in my free time to make that a reality, and make sure I'm having fun while I'm doing it, so I don't grow to resent it. Now, um, before all of the people out there, uh, can you explain what an in-house producer is and what they do? Sure. So. Um, Let's take um, a podcast, for example, if anyone's ever heard of Welcome to Night Vale um, or No Sleep or something like that. They will have uh, music that plays in the background and at the intro and outro of any session you hear. And someone makes that. And that is usually from a producer. And and usually if the podcast can afford it, it's just one person. So they don't have to shop around for other people's music. They don't have to rely on music that other podcasts are using. It, it provides a a person you can go to and say, hey, I need I have this scene that happens in a car chase. So I need you to make something that's kind of fast and suspenseful. And they don't have to worry about looking. They can just, you know, wait a little bit and then the artist will get back to them. The in-house producer will get back to them and say, here's what I made. And they tweak it as need be. 
Um, also, a lot of movie studios will have in-house producers that will just make, you know, arrange scores. They may bring on a famous composer as well, but there's always an in-house producer that tweaks things or makes the groundwork or, you know, just to basically assist the composer. That's actually interesting to know. Now, um, you mentioned that in-house producers will do like sound effects. Uh, do you do sound effects as well or is, are you strictly music or? Um, I do. I, I've been sampling a lot of sound effects, but I am now branching into making my own as well as much as I can. It's uh, it's a very long learning process. When I, start, when I first started out, I used just a lot of samples, a lot of presets and, um, as I went on, I just, again, like with any other type of music, you delve deeper and deeper into exactly how you make those sounds. And so as I progress with each song, I try to make it more and more what I myself have made from scratch. Sound effects are kind of difficult in that a lot of them are prop heavy or they just require a lot of very strange programming and tinkering. But uh, it's definitely doable. So that's I'm, I'm gearing towards making them myself as well. Okay. Now, um, how you mentioned like uh, one of the ways that yeah got you ahead was uh, with um, oh, what's the name of the show? Jorge the. Oh, blame it on Jorge. Blame it on Jorge. How did you connect with them? Uh, so Let's Read was friends with him, and Let's Read was the channel that said I should put out ambient music in the first place, and because uh, they're both relatively large YouTube channels, so Jorge said, "Hey, Let's Read, put me in touch with you." I have this video coming out about um, uh, lost and abandoned video games. Can you make me something that kind of, you know, would evoke that? And, yeah, that basically it was just word of mouth there, and he just approached me through Skype. Now, how do you connect with these YouTube? Like, the, the I mean, those are a couple bigger YouTuber names. Um, how did you connect with them? Like, do you, I mean, because uh, uh, you met Blame It On Horse through one. How did you meet with them, or... Uh, well, so that was, so what spurred the, me making the ambient music in the first place was actually, I had a creepypasta narration channel for a while and I knew I wanted to make it as unique as possible. So I made my own background music and to survive in the creepypasta game, you have to collaborate with people. So you just, you know, carpet bomb every channel you can find and ask for collab requests and if you get lucky, someone sees your stuff and says, yeah, no, you, you have you're, you're kind of the same level of quality mine is. And I made I made sure that all of my recordings sounded really good. The production quality was really high because I wanted to stand out. And Let's Read um, heard it and said, you know, you have a really cool background music. You could just do that instead because the creepypasta game is kind of hard to survive in if you want to stay original. And he was right. So basically I did that. And he just he, he took my songs and just went to all of his friends. And because he's a big channel, he knows big channels. And it just kind of uh, spread outward from that. So a lot of it was luck. Um, and it took a long time to get in contact with big YouTubers. And the nice thing is, is once you are in contact and if they continue to like their stuff, they will continue to spread your content around so a lot of it's down to luck as is everything in the entertainment industry yeah that's what i've always noticed too i mean it is 
I mean, from what I've gathered working in the entertainment industry is there, I mean, it is a lot of networking or it is a lot of talking to people, but then at the same point, it is also a lot of luck because absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's all a matter of just like crossing your fingers and hoping like someone's will not only willing to talk to you, but is actually interested. So, yeah. And you, you have to go in understanding that you are not the only person filling up their inbox. There's tons of other people. So, you know, you, you can have the best music in the world, but if you don't network the correct way and or if, you know, just luck has it and they skip your email or it goes to spam, they're not going to see you. So it, it is tough because it's very unfair. Mm-hmm. How would you uh, what would you consider is networking the right way? It depends entirely on what you're doing. Um, my music and who I try to approach is in a niche of the internet. It's, you know, people, primarily YouTube content creators and um, kind of other podcasts as well. You, to, to network correctly, you need to find spaces and forums that will host your content and where you can communicate with people that is not easy and not that there aren't those platforms out there but again they're very saturated so you you basically just have to make a lot of content put it out there and try to find those platforms where people will see it uh that's reddit that's um soundcloud uh, that's YouTube for for music, and then you also have to take that and, you know, sometimes it's commenting on someone's video, sometimes it's hitting them up on Twitter. You never, excuse me, you never really know when it's going to happen. But find find the channels you want to be featured on, find the people you want to be commissioned by, find out where they're talking, you know, on social media, and approach them there. It's not a, a for sure thing, of course, but that's your best chance. You really can't sit around and put out, you know, and just put out the content and say, hey, if anyone's interested, hit me up. You have to go to them. Now, uh, what type of music do you usually make? If I recall, it's, you said it's usually atmospheric. Do you stick with only atmospheric or are you willing to branch out to make it like something more happier or whatever? Um, yeah. Uh, so right now it's mostly like what I like to make in my spare time when I have nothing else going on is atmospheric ambient music <clears throat> kind of with a cinematic um, twinge to it. Uh, a lot of it's dark and creepy or unnerving, but I've also made kind of uplifting ones and nature based ones. I, in addition to all of that, also do silly remixes of YouTubers um, I've done Eden, I've done the Game Grumps, I've done Nick Nocturne and Nick's Fears. <laughs> so, you know, it, and th- those are just like in kind of very trendy dubstep or trap remix flair. It's, it's just fun and silly. I've also made um, piano pieces for some podcasts. Um, I have, um, I had an old YouTube channel I used to make all the, uh, they, they did sketch videos, so I would make, you know, a, a rock song or a lounge song or something whenever that called for it. So I try to make, you know, as much as possible. I got approached for a video game soundtrack not too long ago, but unfortunately that project got canceled. And that was going to be a very kind of 8-bit, 
chip tune old retro video game sounding thing. So I mean, I'll do I'll pretty much do anything if it sounds fun if and if it's within my capabilities. Yeah, the reason why I'm asking because I've heard people say um, it's better. Some people have said it's better to have a variety so anyone can come and choose. But then there's some that say no, it's better to have spe- stick to something specific because it's like a part of your brand and it, people know what they're looking for when they come to you. What do you think? I would say either are good if you can do them well. Um, but there is nothing wrong with having your strong suit and having, you know, something that makes up the majority of your content. And for me, that's atmospheric stuff. But, you know, people will still ask you, hey, you did this in this style. Can you do something in this style? Because even though they're hearing maybe a common theme throughout your songs, they assume that since you know music, you can do music of different varieties. So it doesn't hurt to have variety, but to stick to your strong suit. And if you know, and if you want to just do one thing, go for it. Um, but you know, be prepared to tell people, "Sorry, I only do this," which can be disappointing. And uh, I've approached artists in the past who said, "I'm open for commissions," and I said, "Oh, cool. Can you do this?" Like, "Oh, no, sorry, I only do this one very narrow, specific style." Like, oh, okay, um, great. Which again is is their choice, but it is it's very limiting. And as a musician, especially, you should try to be open to challenging yourself and being able to do different types of music. Because if you only do one type, it is very very easy to repeat yourself and to just get burned down on it. Not everyone goes through that, but I know a lot of musicians, and I've spoken with bands before who, you know, they <clears throat> they take a, a a different turn on one album from the last one, and everyone just blows up at them and says, "What? This doesn't sound like the previous album." And they go, "Yeah, you know how boring it is to do the same thing for like two years straight. No one wants to do that. No one wants to read the same book for two years straight. So why would you make the same song?" So that there's there's definitely there's an argument for and against, but I would say it's better to err on the side of variety. That's good to know. Uh, um, we're coming near the end of our time. So do you have any uh, last minute advice to anybody listening? Um, <clears throat> I would say brand is important. It is not something you should throw all of your creativity and resources into, but it is very important today to have a recognizable brand because everything is based on the Internet. Everything is tied to how people perceive not you as a person most of the time, but you as an online presence. And for a lot of people, that's an avatar. That's a voice in a YouTube video. So make sure you, whatever spaces you're occupying, be they SoundCloud, YouTube, or whatever, make sure you've got an identifiable image, an identifiable name, and probably a logo. Make sure you have an email address dedicated to whatever work you're doing so it doesn't, you know, conflict with your personal documents and affairs. And be aware that you're going to have to spend money before you make any. I I have lost count of how much money I have put into getting the right gear, training myself, um, you know, getting people to promote my work and 
just it, it's it's dollars and dollars every single month. You know, hosting music on a website like SoundCloud takes money after you filled up a certain amount of time. So, you know, be aware of that. And if it is something you really care about and you really want to do, then save up for it and try not to rely on just the free platforms because everyone's using the free ones. And if you want to break through the sea of other people trying to do what you're doing, you're going to have to put in not just time and effort, but money as well. That's actually really good advice. Jeez. Um, where can we, (laughs) (laughs) where can we find you? So you can find me on YouTube, uh, Abysmi spelled A B Y S M I I. You can find me on SoundCloud under the same name and on Bandcamp. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, all under Abysmi, like that brand I was talking about. Have it, have it consistent throughout everything. And yeah, um, just hit me up probably on Twitter if you want to talk. Uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube page to just keep track of what I'm doing. Yeah. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.